0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast from Uniform, the podcast that dives into real conversations that are happening in contact centers around the world. Here you'll experience exciting interviews with well-known thought leaders, hear compelling stories from industry experts, gain fresh insights on contact center best practices and more. So grab a beverage and tune in as we get real with Conversations That matter. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Randy Ksar, and today we are talking about AI, and I have a great guest with us. It is none other than our VP of AI, Patrick Ellen. Patrick, welcome. Hey, thanks, Randy. It's great to be here. So we're here in, in Palo Alto. We're actually meeting in person, which is exciting. Yep. And we are, uh, have been talking about AI and about the different terms related to AI in terms of... NLP in terms of conversational AI, conversational automation. I mean, so many different things that we've been talking about. And this podcast is not to go into those terms. (laughs) But it's more to just kind of get to know you and uh, really uh, kind of understand your background and kind of how you became who you are and where you are now. Sure, yeah, that sounds great. So uh, to start off with, uh, for those that don't know you, tell us uh, what you do at at Unifor. Yeah, well, I'm the VP of AI, which, uh, you know, if you don't know, which...
1: Probably not a lot of people don't, but AI stands for artificial intelligence, and that's something that, uh, of course, you've been hearing more and more about in the media over the last uh, you know number of years here. And in the context of of Unifor, what does that mean? Well, it's it's actually a pretty important uh, aspect of what Unifor does because we are. Trying to understand what people are doing in conversations, you know, what we call conversation understanding or conversational automation. Right. And so in order to do that, we require some, you know, pretty sophisticated uh, AI algorithms that can uh, understand human language, in particular human to human language, you know, like you and I are doing right now, not just, you know, a person talking to a computer, but people talking to each other. And then, you know, we're trying to do that in not just English, but a bunch of different languages. And so, uh, you know, that that makes for a number of really interesting challenges that, that keeps us busy.
0: For sure. So how's the team organized at Unifor in terms of uh, your team specifically? What kind of background do people have and, and who's on the team?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've we've got a, a very talented group of people here. You know, we bring in people who have a fair amount of uh, technical expertise. You know, they're they're well versed in AI algorithms and and you know know a lot about machine learning and how to develop uh, machine learning applications. But, uh, you know, that, that isn't really just enough, and that's hard enough to find in terms of talent. But doing conversational AI is its own kind of demon, where um, it, it's actually a lot more difficult than other types of, of AI and requires a lot of knowledge about communication and language and conversation, what we call conversation analysis. So we, we look for people who at least have some expertise or background knowledge in those areas— so that uh, you know, people are looking at these problems with a pretty well-informed perspective about things. Yeah. So we've we've got a team that is, you know, as you know, uniforms kind of spread all over the world, and a lot of people we have here in the U.S. in California in particular, and then we have a lot of people in in India. So our AI team is spread out between those those places, and. Literally, Randy, working on these problems non-stop, like 24 <laughs> hours a day. Like one team goes to bed, the other team wakes up and the so what it just keeps, keeps you going. Up?
0: So I guess the question is what keeps you up at night? Yeah.
1: That's a good question. You know, I mean the, the honest answer is to uh, not so much worrying, but just sort of being, you know, when there's there's being up at night worrying about, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow versus just, you know, thinking about a problem because you're excited about it. Yeah. And that's probably what keeps most of us up more than anybody else is uh, the fact that, you know, sometimes you pinch yourself. You're like, oh, it's great that I get to work on these really interesting problems right, right, and of course. Uh, actually get paid for it. And, uh, you know, what better than to have a job where you can just do the thing that uh, you would probably want to do anyway?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So uh, you, you've been in this field for for a long time. Tell us a little bit about how you got started with an AI and and um, sure analysis of conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I it, it's interesting because I I didn't really set out to have a you know to go into AI and you know when I was. When I was a kid and thinking about what I'm going to be when I grow up, like that, that didn't seem like a possible career. It seemed more likely that I could be an astronaut than that I could be somebody who worked in AI because AI was just something
0: in in science fiction. Really, did you have like a career day back in like high school or something? Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I remember doing that. Yeah, when I did it, we had a. I went to high school in Cupertino over here, yep. and we had a, a career day, and they had us fill out a survey, like just kind of like a you know a survey to figure out what you're going to be. And so when it was all said and done, they said that I was going to be working in hospitality, literally like a hotel manager uh-huh. <laughs> in, in, in probably like in Hawaii or well, something. To your like credit, reading, you're reading, a reading, hospitable reading, guy. I mean, well, thank you. you, know. thank you. So uh, to this day, my mom always makes fun of me that I should be working in hospitality <laughs> instead of in social media. But I guess they, they are somehow related. In right, some right, fashion. right. It's all about yeah. conversations. But in, in terms of kind of how you got started, let's go back to that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't something that I really thought about as a career path, but I was certainly interested from a pretty young age. You know, I think I was kind of always into science fiction and Star Trek and things like that. And then um, it really kind of got kicked off when I was in third grade and I found a book at the library that was... A science fiction novel. It was not really a kids' book. It was more of an adult book. But I started reading it very slowly, and uh, my third grade teacher was kind of impressed with the fact that I was reading this. So she didn't make me do the you know read the other books that other kids were reading. And this this book was about uh, you know some people on a spaceship that had this AI computer on it that would talk to and uh, and then the computer goes crazy and it starts killing everybody and stuff. <laughs> and uh, and that of course dire. was the, the 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 novelization of. Uh, the the film that you probably know, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, you know, the famous yep. film from Stanley Kubrick. And uh, the the novel itself and, and the screenplay as well were written uh, by by Kubrick and, and Arthur C. Clarke, the great, uh, you know, one of the great science fiction writers who also did uh, uh, Childhood's End and Rendezvous with Rama. And so here I was, I spent all of third grade reading this book. And weirdly enough, at the same time, my dad was a big, computer enthusiast Mm -hmm. at a time when most people didn't have computers in their houses. We're talking, you know, the the late 70s, you know, Apple computers were not really a thing yet. PCs in people's houses were not really a thing.
0: So, the big companies at that time were were what? Like, you know,
1: IBM and uh, the other one was uh, Digital Equipment Corporation But then there were also like these computer hobbyist magazines that, um, you know, along the same lines of what Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak would do, where you just order these kits and put together computers. And so that was something my dad was into. And then finally, he decided just to quit his job and get a bank loan and buy a real computer and became a consultant. And that real computer was uh, a computer that came from Digital Equipment Corporation called the PDP-11. And it was about the size of a refrigerator and had, like, reel-to-reel tapes spinning on it and lights flashing awesome. and everything. We're going to
0: find a link to that computer. There's probably a Wikipedia page There's, on it. There's definitely
1: uh, <laughs> so a, a bunch of pictures of them yeah. and, and stuff. The disk drive was literally the size of a washing machine and made about as much noise as a washing machine, too, and gave off enough heat that we didn't even have to turn on the heater in the house. The computer basically just heat, heated the house. Yeah. I'm not sure what kind of electrical bill that ended up uh being but um anyway long story short like we you know we had this super cool computer in our basement at a time when nobody else had computers and I just read this book and thought like you know gee I've got this computer here. Maybe I should like start to learn how to program it. And maybe I could get it to have a conversation with me the way that the yeah. you know computer in the book did. And so I kind of taught myself to program and, you know, would just sit there in the basement with my dad working and me, you know, just messing around, <laughs> okay. try, try, trying to program this Good thing. memories. Yeah. So yes, yeah, you know, skip ahead some years and, um, Even in college and graduate school, AI did not seem really like a a career path. So I studied cognitive psychology and was really interested in, you know, just um, human communication and language and how the brain processes language and and stuff. But at the time, now we're talking, you know, mid to to late 90s, we were starting to see speech recognition software coming out. And, you know, language understanding started to be something that people were thinking a little bit more about. And I got really interested in that. And so I got an internship at uh, one summer at Dragon Systems. They were doing speech recognition software. And then the following summer at AT&T Labs uh, with a bunch of people formerly from Bell Labs. Mm-hmm. And so that's... Like the perfect uh, spot
0: to be for anything voice related?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they just had like, you know, all the equipment, just... A lot of people who were still there from the Bell Labs days, you know, a- at and kind of, they've, they've changed now. They don't really have that kind of connection to the research uh, area that they, that they used to have. But at the time, there were, you know, definitely a lot of interesting people
0: there. So uh, when you were in college, uh, we were talking before we started recording, you met the inventor of AI that people have, have titled him. Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
1: Yeah, that was actually when I showed up at uh, Stanford for a, a postdoc, and I, I got a postdoc at uh, this, uh, what's basically kind of a mecca for AI, which is called CSLI, the Center for the Study of Language and Information. That's basically one of these multidisciplinary centers at Stanford that they started in, I think, the early 70s, where they just said, let's get people who are experts in logic and math and computer science and psychology, anthropology, like you name it. Let's like take all these smart people we have at Stanford and put them in a center and see if they can figure out how to do AI. And uh, so I got there for a postdoc, you know, of course, some sometime later. But, uh, you know, one of the The first things I noticed, like you, you get to Stanford and there are all kinds of like smart people giving lectures on interesting topics. And so the, you know, the first thing you want to avail yourself of is to, to go to lectures and, you know, hear interesting talks from, from interesting people. Yeah, Consume all that knowledge as much as you can. And so I, you know, the first few weeks I was going to a lot of these lectures and, uh, Usually five, 10 minutes after the lecture had started, the door would rattle and somebody would come in and it was always this same guy who was an, an older guy with a beard and a cane and, you know, kind of had a hard time, but he'd, he'd make his way to the very front of the room and just plop himself down right in front of the speaker. And then as the speaker was was talking, he would just sort of shout out his questions and, you know, not bother to raise his hand or anything like that, no, no matter how illustrious the speaker was. And, you know, you kind of thought like, who does this guy think he is? He comes here and here all disruptive and, you know. And, uh, well, I learned after a couple of weeks that this was John McCarthy, who was the person uh, who actually originally coined the term artificial intelligence and was part of uh, one of the original Groups at at Dartmouth that um, you know they uh, there was a group of people who kind of got yeah. together and thought you know where are these it was the mid 1950s they thought we could we got these new things called computers maybe we can figure out how to get computers to do a lot of the really smart things that people can do like uh, you know get them to to recognize objects you know in a scene in a visual sense yeah. get them to you know do smart things like play chess like. Smart people play chess. So if we could get a machine to do that, then it would probably, you know, be, be a really good sign of things, or you know, get it to, to understand language. So John McCarthy was part of this original group that really thought they were going to bang this out in a summer. They got together and they were like, this summer, let's figure out how to teach computers to, to do all this stuff. And that really kind of kicked off what we think of now as AI. And here it is, you know, almost 60 years later. And uh, we're still, we've come a long way, but there are a lot of problems that they thought were not gonna take yeah. very long, of in course. particular language <laughs> understanding that we're, that we're still working so that you know, was the, very uh, hard
0: on. The beginning of the summer of learning, I guess you call that's it. That's right, that's right, yep, Yeah. <laughs> now for a short break, let's learn more about Unifor. Unifor is the global leader in conversational service automation. The company's vision is to disrupt an outdated customer service model by bridging the gap between human and machine using voice, AI and automation so that every voice on every call is truly heard. For more information about Unifor, go to www.unifor.com, email podcast at unifor.com or tweet at Unifor. And now back to the podcast. So uh, as we kind of uh, look forward on, on the future of AI, I know we've talked a lot about that at Unifor and, and we, we coined the term conversational automation, you know, and, and that keyword that I wanted to kind of pull out was automation. Yeah. So we're going to get into this a little rapid fire right now. Sure. And the first thing that the question I have is if there was one thing that you could automate, what would it be? Oh, geez. Wow. Good question. I mean,
1: dusting is one thing, like you know we've got these robot vacuums it's that's awesome yeah, that, that you just it, like uh, set this thing running and it like goes and vacuums under the sofa, and you don't have to worry about it
0: and stuff
1: and but um. But we we don't have something like that for dusting, and it fe- seems like dust is always accumulating on things. I always so, in my house, the, the yeah. home
0: entertainment system, the whole shelf. Yeah,
1: especially around yeah. like your stereo, computer stuff like that. Yeah. Those, I guess, the, it's, the fans in those things just like collect dust or something. So if you could, <laughs> if you could have something like I don't know a drone or something that goes around and you know, does the dusting. Drone slash
0: Swiffer slash something like that. Exactly. (laughs) That would work. Exactly. All right, awesome. You were telling me before that you are a tennis player and you love playing that. If there was one Grand Slam tournament that you could travel to, which Grand Slam tournament would that be? Oh, geez. Or have you been to any yet? You know...
1: I slept through one.
0: I, uh, <laughs> That's I, a whole I, podcast in itself. How could you sleep through
1: one? Well, I showed up in Paris in, uh, this was during the French Open uh-huh. in 2000. No, sorry. 1989, the summer really? of 89. And it was, uh, I don't know if you remember, Chang. Yeah, yeah Michael Chang. Yeah, he was, my he, idol was up. he was really young uh, back then. And, I, and he won I it believe this was his first Grand Slam yep. was the French Open and, uh, yep. in that summer. And we had literally just stepped off the plane, and instead of sleeping on the plane like people had counseled me to do, I was just too excited, and so I was yeah. awake the whole time. And then when we when we got to Paris and some people invited me, they were like, we have tickets to the French Open, like, <laughs> do you want to go? And I was like, of course. no, I'm going to stay in the hotel and sleep. And uh, and I, I stayed and I slept. And I missed the opportunity to see Chang play and also Monica Celeste, uh, yeah, who was, Celes, who was yeah. pretty big at the time. That's awesome. So, yeah, I suppose I, if I could, you know, have a do-over, I would go, go back, back and, yeah. I probably <laughs> yeah. wouldn't, you know, once you're out in the fresh air, you probably wouldn't fall asleep during a tennis
0: <laughs> match. Not with that crowd. No, yeah. definitely not. No, I, I, my goal is to go to the Australian Open in Wimbledon. That's uh-huh. my goal there. Yep, yep. So, uh, you follow a lot of And you know a lot of uh, different uh, AI um, experts and and researchers throughout the world. Is there one or two that you go to um, to kind of stay up to date? Maybe it's their blog or a book or some publication that they, they write?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really keep tabs on like most of what's going on in academia. There are lots of academic conferences, both in the area of machine learning and in, you know, what, what we call computational linguistics, which is really, you know, teaching machines to understand language, whether it's speech recognition or machine translation or, you know, just extracting semantics from text or conversations like like we do here. So there are a lot of conferences on this and, you know, just kind of like keeping tabs on what's going on in those conferences is a great way to just, you know, stay on top of what's going on in the field. I also kind of keep up with uh, a lot of the people that um, I, I met when I was at Stanford as a postdoc, people like Dan Jurafsky and Chris Manning, another person that uh, when I was kind of getting first getting into AI, I originally read these these books called on uh, called. Parallel distributed processing, which was kind of a new approach to AI using neural networks at the time. This was the the late '80s, and uh, one of, one of the co-authors of that book was Jay McClelland, who kind of showed up at Stanford right after I was there, and he's still there there now. But I actually got to know Jay, and and um, you know, had, it was it was great for me to have an opportunity to to interact with somebody that uh, you know previously was just this you know famous person out there in the AI world. And then when I was at Stanford, I worked in Stanley Peters' lab, and, you know, he, he does mostly what we call computational semantics, which is, uh, you know, using machines to, to extract semantics from things. So, you know, most of the people that I kind of uh, rubbed elbows with uh, there, I, I really keep track of, you know, what's going on in their labs and with their students awesome. and and that sort of thing.
0: Cool. Well, we'll have to get them on the podcast. Sure. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That'd be great.
0: All right. um, So uh, we always like to to ask this question on the podcast, and it is around customer service. If you were calling into a contact center and there was one voice that could kind of solve your problems, you would call it, that person answered, you you know, your problem and your challenges would be solved. Which voice would that be? And it could be a celebrity, dead or alive. Anybody that's uh, kind of just like, I'm going to be taken care of. Well, I mean... The answer is
1: obviously Samuel L. Jackson, right? <laughs> he, he is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was he was a he was a gangster in pulp fiction, and then he was a Jedi master. Like you know, you know that this guy's got all the
0: bases covered, right? So uh, uh, even if he can't fi- can't <laughs> solve it himself, he'll find someone. That's that can- right.
1: There's going to be a way to get it done. He'll uh, he'll, <laughs> he'll make that call, and the fixer will come in, and you know, <laughs> that's awesome. That car will be squeaky clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, that's great. Um,
0: and, uh, you know, to kind of end off on this podcast, you know, I want to give you some some kind of airtime. If you want to uh, kind of tell our audience if there's ways that people can contact you to learn more about what Unifor is doing, maybe you specifically around AI. Uh, and then if you're hiring in your group, uh, you know, just let us know um, what that would be.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are we are definitely always on the lookout for people who are uh, you know interested in doing machine learning in the area of conversation analysis and and also you know we haven't talked a lot about this but but multimodal analysis and just sort of you know what we might call computational pragmatics, which is taking a step back from just understanding language and understanding more of like what's actually going on in a situation, you know, given what you might see in the room, given what the history between people might be, Mm -hmm. but really just kind of like, finding computational ways to include context and other knowledge into your understanding of something. So, you know, people who are excited by those types of problems, you know, definitely take a look at our website, our careers page on the Unifor website. And, you know, we've got some job postings up there that uh, we'd invite anybody to, to apply to.
0: And then, the best way to, to reach you, yeah.
1: The best way to reach me is, uh, probably through that website. I don't know if they've got our emails on there yeah, or I, got that. Yeah. I think we've got a, and then you know, various, can, various ways to contact awesome.
0: us. Yeah. And people can connect to you on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn too. That's true. Yep. Just, just look up my name. E-H-L-E-N. <laughs> There's that weird H in there that nobody knows what to do with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no worries. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes. So thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's, sure, been, Randy, it's been a great time. Yeah. It's yeah. been really cool to, to kind of hear your background and, uh, and I know that uh, in the future we're going to have some more interviews with other AI thought leaders, and I-, I can't wait to to hear about that. That sounds great. I look forward to it. All right, we'll take care, All right, everyone. Randy. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. As always, uh, if you found this conversation valuable, if you want to hear more on AI thought leaders and other folks that are helping out within the conversational automation world, make sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite player, whether it's Apple whether it's Google, whether it's Spotify. And if you want to email us on the show, email us at podcast at unifor.com. Have a great day and stay safe. Bye. You have been listening to the Conversations That Matter podcast by Unifor. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and rate and review to enable us to create relevant and valuable content for your business. If you'd like to learn more about conversational service automation, visit unifor.com. Have a great day.